Let us pray. God of all, we pray that as we hear your scripture this morning, you would illumine us, inspire us, and empower us in ways that we can never do on our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the second post-Easter, post-resurrection account in the Gospel of John. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. And he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and they were not able to haul it all in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes because he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. But other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As a child growing up in Chicago, Stephanie De Silva found that city helped her get to where she was going. If you've ever been to Chicago, every street is usually helpfully labeled west, north, east, some direction. And they meet at really neat right angles. If all else failed, she always had Lake Michigan. Okay, that's east. But when Ms. De Silva moved to London in her 20s, she was utterly lost. She couldn't navigate to a restaurant two blocks away from her apartment without using GPS. The streets were all crooked, and, and they came at all sorts of angles. I've lived here six months now, she said, and I still don't ever know what direction I'm facing. Scientists, in fact, tell us that people who grow up in predictable grid-like cities like Chicago or New York seem to struggle to navigate as easily as those who come from rural areas or from more intricate cities. If you grow up in in a place like Chicago or Buenos Aires or Montreal, grid cities, you don't train as much in your navigation skills as if you grew up in a more complex city like London or or Paris, 
where the streets are way more convoluted. Now, first century Palestine was not a grid-like area. But pre-resurrection life of fishing and surviving was indeed a grid of dull, predictable despair where you know well what to expect in life and more crucially, what your life will be and what your life decidedly will not be. You know, we human beings can get used to almost anything, including despair, dullness, conflict, an utter lack of hope. This was the world of these fishermen pre-Jesus. Today's text seems to indicate this is the life in their grief they were attempting to return. We may not like it. We may not like the outlook, but we'll adjust and adjust and adjust and adjust until we can just even forget the longing we once had for a larger life and we'll settle. Life is predictable at right angles. It can be bleak, but it's pretty easy to get around. Then Easter happens to these disciples. It must have been like being immediately transported from a grid like midtown Manhattan and dumped into the winding streets of Paris. But we do not escape the known world easily. And so now Easter or not in their grief, they're doing their best to snap to the grid. They return to seeing the world in the fixed terms they were living before Jesus rocked their world three years before. And how about us today, post-Easter? War, inflation, suspicion, partisan vitriol. Uh, from what I can see, they all continue apace, just like three weeks ago. How has ordinary, predictable life been disrupted by Easter power for us? And how would we know? Something had better come in. I don't think I'm the only one who shares this. Something had better change and disrupt our regular life because we are sinking under the weight of it all. Mental health crises are overwhelming caregivers and those afflicted with mental health problems. Loneliness in every single generation is at epidemic proportions. Dislocations caused by the pandemic, even if we don't have to wear masks anymore, we can gather. The dislocations continue at rapid velocity. However, and here's the good news, crawling out from under the burdens of the pandemic, people in church, but also matched by people not in church and not even thinking about church, as people are asking them, what do you need now? are actually saying startlingly similar things. We're all naming the same needs. We need care. We need community. We long for connection. We want depth. And we want to work together on mending the social fabric. People want God, whether they name it that or not. But so many eat in and out of churches feel stuck in this cycle 
that is suffocating us. And Easter or not, God seems far away. Uh, in my job, uh, I get the privilege these days of, we have a network of over 100 pastors and congregations in 23 denominations. My day is mostly filled with conversations with pastors and with folks like you, either in small groups or in larger groups or in one-on-one conversations. Most of what I do every day is talk and hear and listen carefully, often in the quiet of just a small group expressing what they need. I hear folks like you describe their life and the life of the ministry in which they're involved. The wind has been utterly knocked out of me. I am depleted, they say. I am exhausted. I am stuck. I am confounded and confused. I am in a downward spiral that I can't seem to pull out of. Has ordinary, predictable life for us been disrupted by Easter power? How would we know? Walk the Line is a movie about Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. Johnny Cash, of course, the enormously talented singer-songwriter, became addicted to amphetamines early in his career. Under the influence of those drugs, his life spiraled completely out of control. He lost his family. He was kicked off his own musical tour. At the very bottom of this plunge into the depths, the movie depicts Cash trying to host Thanksgiving dinner for his parents and the family of June Carter, the woman he loved. At the meal, Cash gets in this silly but terrible argument with his father about the fate of a tractor on Cash's property that's stuck in the mud. Johnny explodes. He runs from the house, fires up the tractor, and is determined to free it from the muck, determined to prove to his father he is not a failure. His guests choose this awkward moment to head for the door. The host He looks like a madman. His eyes are crazy desperate. As he sat astride, his John Deere, a a belching, smoking, sputtering beast, he was a man possessed. Sensing that he might flip the tractor and kill himself, June's mother, Maybell, says to his daughter, you should go down there to him, June. June replies, I am not going down there. Seeing the hurt in in her daughter's face, knowing the affection she has for Cash, Mabel responds, honey, you're already down there. And with that, June descends. And from that moment on, June and her family, stuck by Cash's side as he struggled with all the demons, that tormented him. They flushed his pills. They mopped his brow as he sweat and swore and lied to get more drugs. Years later, Cash would credit them in that moment for saving his life. It wasn't easy. It was hell. Is it any wonder that June Carter wrote the lyrics to one of Johnny Cash's most famous songs? I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 but the flames went higher. 
and it burns, 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 that ring of fire, that ring of fire. According to Dante, the gates of hell have an inscription above them that says, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Not so, said June Carter. Not so, says the God at Easter. The question of the day for us is, does the church here and everywhere have the voice to proclaim today not so to all that's going on? Easter is God's answer to death. It is God's answer to despair and depletion and exhaustion and confusion and division and every single downward spiral we may ever experience. God stands in the most hopeless places with us, speaking God's grace, drawing us to Easter's light. The question in 2022, with a society being ripped apart, is can we trust God to still go down there and still bring hope? For for the disciples, in our text this morning, That question was not theoretical. It was immediate, and it was despairing. They snapped to their familiar grid, and they were lost and displaced and depleted. And in that moment, Jesus finds them. Jesus provides for them. Jesus even has the fish to cook before they bring theirs ashore. Jesus cooks for them and invites them. Will God still go down there in 2022 and find us when we are utterly depleted? You better believe God will. That's how we define Easter. Jesus knew who the disciples were. He knew where they were post-Easter. And rather than appear in some huge arena to impress everybody or make some splashy cultural display by flashy resurrection power. Jesus goes where they were clinging to the grid of low expectations, and he reminded them that it is now and forever an Easter world by cooking breakfast for them and inviting them to join. It is time, I am convinced, for the church of Jesus Christ in North America to receive this meal that Jesus provides for us and to accept the invitation to hope and to address every person stuck in old patterns of dullness and despair by saying not so to all the voices and powers that seek to snap us back to any grid that promotes division, despair, or depletion. On the second day of June in 1979, Polish-born Pope John Paul II arrived back in his homeland for the first visit since he had been elected Pope eight months before. What followed would never be forgotten by anyone who witnessed it. The communists who ran Poland at the time were in a quandary. If they didn't allow the new pope to visit, they'd look frightened and defensive. If they did, what if he sparked an insurrection, a revolt that toppled them? From the day he arrived, 
the boundaries of the world that seemed so fixed began to shift. At the very first Mass Pope John Paul celebrated, he gave by what many accounts was the greatest sermon of his life. And interestingly, he didn't speak in the sermon about what governments want. And he didn't speak about what the freedom movement wanted. And he didn't speak of what the labor movement solidarity wanted. John Paul spent the entire sermon talking about what God wants. Sometimes we get lured into thinking that the church exists by what we decide and how hard we work and by what we need and what we approve. Remember those fish? Jesus didn't need the fish the disciples brought. Just as God does not need our work to help make the church, though God receives our work. Actually, the church is all about responding to what God wants. This is what saves us. This is what lifts us. What does God want? The whole gospel witness tells us loud and clear. God wants us to see the reality around us differently. God wants you to see your situation, whatever it is today, through Easter eyes. Do not see division. See wholeness. Rhetorically, the Pope's approach to that sermon was not to declare or assert or strongly proclaim. What he did was point out the obvious. We are Christians. We are here. We are united. No matter what the world powers and the map makers say. Looking out at the millions gathered in a society being torn asunder, John Paul preached... You must be strong, my sisters and brothers. You must be strong in the strength that faith gives. You must be strong with the strength of faith. You must be faithful. You need this strength today more than any time in our history. You must be strong with love that is stronger than death. When we are strong in the Spirit of God, we look to God for our answers, not each other. Therefore, there is no need to fear so I beg you, never lose your trust. Never be defeated. Do not be discouraged. Never detach yourself from Jesus Christ. Never serve any other power. Never lose your spiritual freedom. And at that point in the sermon, as one, the massive crowd responded with thunder. We want God, they shouted together. We want God. What a moment in human history. We want God. From the mouths of modern women and men living in a modern, threatening, authoritarian regime, the mass crowd thundered its response, we want God. Crawling out from under the burdens of the pandemic, People in church and people who've never heard of church, people of faith and of those no faith, and those who are seeking faith are all expressing remarkably similar needs: care, community, connection, depth, to work together to mend the social fabric. Not in those exact words, of course, but what people are saying is we want God. Culture, 
is giving us division, enmity, suspicion, despair, and all the rest. People coming out of the last two years are asking for God. The disciples coming out of three years with Jesus thought they lost him. And they're snapping back to the grid in despair and emptiness. And then there is Jesus on the beach fixing breakfast, inviting them, feeding them, supporting them, loving them, giving them absolutely everything that they need. We in the church are the stewards of Jesus' love, care, grace, support, unity, and Easter hope. The world, certainly not using any churchy language, is crying out to us, we want God. And churches everywhere, including here, we have a choice. We can snap to our well-worn grid and live with the junk food that the culture will love to feed us. Or we can partake in the Easter feast Jesus has prepared. Every faith community in America is at this crucial point of making that choice today.